Stewart, and we're here at the Father's House on December, December, September 20th, 2020. So we're glad that you're here, and we're going to be talking about From Humility to Exaltation. And the notes are on the computer there in front of you, so I hope that you avail yourself of the notes that we're using for this class. Father, we just thank you for your blessings that have been tremendous during these past few days of our seminar. And we pray that you would just bless today as well. May your Holy Spirit give me the words to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord put this these scriptures on my heart, and I knew that uh, I was going to be repeating some of the scriptures that might be that were going to be used in the seminar and so during the week I had my trusty pen out and I would hear them, well scratch that out <laughs> and I would hear another one scratch that out and the pastor would do his teaching and I'd say I never thought of that I never saw that before <laughs> so I wasn't going to try that one since he had done so well on it but God has really blessed us this week hasn't he and uh, we'll be using some scriptures that you've heard and and uh, Holy Spirit I think will cause some different applications to be seen today you know when Solomon uh, faithfully finished the house of the Lord he also faithfully honored the temple with what is called the feast of the dedication of the temple that lasted seven days it was immediately followed by the feast of tabernacles which had been going on year by year by year for ever since the day the when it started for years now it's been going on and so to combine that was 14 days of feast for those two events and at the end of that time, the Lord assured him that he had heard his prayer and that he had hallowed or sanctified the temple. And he told Solomon that his eyes and his heart, two things, eyes and heart, would be there continually in Second Chronicles 7, 12 and in, in 1 Kings 9 also. And he renewed the Davidic covenant with Solomon just as he had renewed the Abrahamic covenant with Isaac and Jacob in 2 Chronicles 7, 17 through 22, 1 Kings 9. Well, the second appearance is the one that, that had just happened, um, and it occurred 20 years after God had first appeared to Solomon. And on that first occasion, uh, Solomon had asked for wisdom. And now 20 years later, the temple is finished. And God assures Solomon that he will dwell there perpetually. And in these verses we read, If my people, this is Second Chronicles 7, 14 through 16, which you've heard many times this week, I know. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble, that's kana, humiliate, to bring into subjection, to subdue themselves before God. 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Verse 15, now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attent. Kashab is the word there, to awake or to alert, to, to be alert or alert to and watchful. Um, attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetuously. A lot of big words in in those three verses. And <clears throat> I think the biggest word there is that very first one that we read. If. If is a very big word. You notice that? <laughs> As I go through life, I know if is a very, very big word. It's conditional. If these things happen, then I will do something. Very large word. And then, there where it's in verse 15, now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attent, which means alert and watchful. Then, if you do all of these things, then my eyes will be open and my ears will be attent. <clears throat> and I remembered... <clears throat> um, how a cell phone worked and how a pager worked so some of these communication pieces work um, it's beautiful that a, a tent means that he doesn't just hear our prayers he uh, he is on point watching waiting hoping, moving, and speaking to us for us to make our prayers. Watching and listening, he's a tent. He, he, so, that he, so that we will pray. You know, you've been doing things, so have I, and all of a sudden you stop and decide to pray. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's how God is a tent. He is Wait, not just waiting, but prompting our prayers. The cell phone, <clears throat> or the pager, if you remember those days, we charge the battery, it'd be 100%. Go back a few hours later and it's at 85. They haven't even used it. What? The reason is that the pager hears every single signal every page everything that goes through the atmosphere that cell phone of yours hears it only wakes up when it hears its own address there's a protocol and it it, it hears but it doesn't listen if you want to put it that way God hears a lot of things but he's telling us here if you do all these things I'll listen listen um, verse 14 of 2nd Chronicles 7 humble yourselves pray 
seek God's face. Turn from your wicked ways. Those are the four things that are the requirements. Verse 14. And if you do those four things, then God will do these three things in return. Four, if you want to count faithful. Faithful. Hear from heaven. Number two, he will forgive us our sins. Number three, he will heal our lands. So that word if becomes very large. If you will do that, then this is what I will do. Well, history shows us that Israel was not able to meet those four conditions of verse 14. And so the three blessings promised were not able to be completely realized for them uh, at that time or at any later time for a sustained period. Well, there were times when they made an attempt, but they fell, fell away. Yet these promises that God has made are there in the Old Testament. And they're there for us just like they were for Israel. And so these promises are still good. If Israel meets these four conditions, they are also good for today for Israel. They're good today for us because they're there in his word. And so... Um, they're good for our church if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face turn from our evil ways our wicked ways they're good for my family they're good for our country if you're listening for over, from overseas somewhere they're good for your country they're good for your family they're good for your church those promises that's his purpose God is no respecter of persons. We read that in Acts 10 and 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and he said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth or who, he that reverences him and worketh righteousness is accepted or approved with him. So it applies to whoever humbles themselves and prays, seeks his face. Because God is no respecter of persons. Some people have responded well to these four conditions and God has blessed them individually and blessed their families and their churches and other groups that they may belong to according to his eternal word. And even today, some are enjoying the benefits of God's three promised blessings because of that. He's hearing from heaven for them. He is forgiving them of their sins and he's healing their lands and blessing their lands and their other properties, in other words, their assets. Blessing them as a people. Individually, as a family, as a church body, as a group, as a nation. The next verse has another big word. <clears throat> verse 15. That first word is now. Now. You do all of these things first. Now. 
My eyes shall be open. My ears attent. That's kashab. Awake, alert, and watchful. Unto the prayer that is made in this place. I look at that word now and I think what that means to me is this is why mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend because you have done these things. This is why. That's what makes if such a big word. God's eyes are open, it says in verse 15, and his ears are attent or attentive. Kashab, alert and watchful to the prayer of his people. Think of it. God isn't just listening to our prayers. He is eagerly watchful to hear what our next prayer or petition will be. He knows what it should be. He is moving by his Holy Spirit to prompt us to pray what the prayer should be. That's why his ears are attent to hear what we pray. Because he's telling us what to pray for according to his purpose. Powerful. Another two big words in the next verse. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Yom. In other words, continually or daily. In other words, that's also translated Chronicles. Found in Chronicles, the word Yom is also translated Chronicles. I look at those two words for now and I think to myself, because, because, have I chosen and sanctified this house. If and now, that is why, and because. If you do these things, that's why I'm going to do my things, and because I'm sanctifying because you have I'm sanctifying this house so your life's journal is being written in heaven so is mine each of us have a life journal a permanent record it will be an account of God's perpetual blessings upon us and not only will God be attentive and watching eagerly for our prayer and petitions to him but he will be in that position with us forever. Imagine that. Forever. He'll be eagerly waiting for our partnering, for our worship, for our communing with him forever. If, that big word again, if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Is there a chronicle in heaven? Is that what you're trying to say today, Dennis? Is there a chronicle in heaven? Yes, there is. There really is. A chronicle in this case would be an account of our daily communing before 
and with God. It is perpetually recording the important events of our daily lives, just as, as uh, it is each day from Adam until the end of time. My own belief is that this chronicle continues with the New Testament through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a history of the church and is still being written today. We're part of that. I, uh, I'm thinking that I will be about as famous in that as maybe Habakkuk's third cousin. <laughs> but I'm in there somewhere. <laughs> the cloud. I'm in that who's who section. <laughs> somewhere it's there, and so are you. We're told some very important truths and principles and purposes in Chronicles first and Second Chronicles. For example, we are told that, number one, the principal purpose of First and Second Chronicles in the Old Testament is to show God's control of history to fulfill his desire to dwell among his people. He wants to dwell among his people. If nothing else is clear in those two books, that should be clear. God wants to dwell among his people. He has been dwelling among us for a long time now, and especially in this last week. He wants to dwell among his people in a perfect relationship of holiness in which God is God and the redeemed or the converted are his people. That's where he wants to be. He wants us to be there with him. A second purpose is to show God's choice of a person and a people to build his house. He will choose a person to build his house. We see that in First and Second Chronicles, don't we? He will choose someone. He's choosing you, he's choosing me, he's choosing each of us here who have a work to do and a purpose that he wants us to fulfill. And he has chosen us to build his house. That's the way he works. He's made it clear to us how he works. He chooses people in First and Second Chronicles. A third purpose is to show that God, who dwells in holiness, must be approached according to the law that God gave to Moses. David, in seeking to unite his people around the presence of God, learned that God must be sought in the proper way. You remember that? He has to be sought in the proper way. That was made clear in First and Second Chronicles in the story of David and others. A fourth purpose, and there's many others, I just chose four. A fourth purpose of Chronicles is to encourage God's people to work together with God and with one another to build God's house. 
each of us have that responsibility, not just to work with God, but to work with one another in a godly way to build his house. We see that rolling out through the history that we read in Chronicles. So the truths established here are the truths forever. They don't change. Uh, the applications change with the times through the generations, the seemingly endless changes of names and faces that are down through history that God has worked with in every generation. All those changes take place. All the faces look different. All the names seem to be different as well. They're timeless truths, and they're all there for all of us to see and to learn from. I believe we can learn from it, and we can apply them right here in our church and in Saints Network because they're truths forever. The tabernacle and the temple symbolize that desire. God wants to dwell among his people. And God is fulfilling his desire through the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David. When Christ shall have completed his repentive, his redemptive work, the tabernacle of God will be with men in their hearts. And he will live with them. God's plan from the beginning was and is to be with his creation forever. The history of mankind is written to that end. That's what mankind is all about, is God dwelling with man. And the history is there for us to see that that's what he wants for all time and forever. John's vision of the new heaven and the new earth and revelation, I think, says it very clearly. Revelation 21 and 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God forever we read the rest of that chapter and we see what God's intention is well first and second chronicles are, are the first two books of a four book series that includes the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and combined these four books are the history from the time of Adam but particularly in the times of David through Ezra and Nehemiah to accomplish the rebuilding of the temple. So we have Adam through the building of the temple and then we have the rebuilding of the temple taking place in those four books through Ezra and Nehemiah. And we learn that, that uh, here that it is God's desire to dwell in holiness with his people perpetually not that we are holy because we are not <laughs> we just simply are not and never have been but we're redeemed 
to be holy by God's grace. And since we are redeemed to be holy, he sees us as holy. And our continued humbly bef humbling before him and our obedient fellowship with him and with others is what's required for him to dwell in our, in our midst. That's what he wants. Have you ever noticed how our obedience in Christ continually requires us to remain holy before him and his structure and order within our midst? We're getting into some hard ones now. For me, probably for you, it's something he requires. I shall have order in my church is what God so clearly communicates with us in these books. And I will dwell with you and you shall dwell with me and dwell with each other. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 11 is another example. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. That's getting easier for me to remember than it used to be. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober. That means be serious. Okay. Be, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion, walketh about, sinking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of grace, who <coughs> hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered for a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. We go back through there, we can count seven times in this passage that we are told to be humble and to endure in that state as we walk in God's presence. Be humble. Subdue yourselves before God and before each other according to God's structure. The phrase, after ye have suffered a while, in verse 10, has many applications that in our context today, let's just look at the humbling experience. The hardest part of our spiritual journey may just be overcoming our own pride. Not overcoming our own pride can lead to spiritual ruin, can't it? It just can. 
if we have something in our lives that we should have confessed and we did not, reason is pride. It certainly isn't logic. <laughs> because God knows what we did. When we confess, we're not telling him anything new. We're not telling him anything he didn't know already. So it's our pride that keeps us from confessing. And renewing that right relationship with him. Proverbs 16, 8 through 19. Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before the fall. Better it is to be an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Okay. Better to be lowly. So when Paul was establishing the qualifications for church laymen and clergy leaders, there was a strong requirement for soberness. A strong Christian walk over time and someone who could resist the temptation of pride. That's who we're supposed to look for as a leader. Okay? 1 Timothy 3, 5 through 7. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach, reproach and the snare of the devil. He has to be good. In other words, he has to be good over time. Or she. Good over time. And known to be good by those who view his life, her life. And that leads us to what I like to refer to as the in my special case syndrome. Um, I tend then I I tend to think of myself as as the main character in the theater of my life. That's just how I see myself. I think you probably do too, don't you? I'm the main character. Paul was writing to Timothy, stating these qualifications for church leaders, and how we have to be humble in many of his sermons and teachings. And uh, as a former Pharisee, Paul knew something about the problem of pride in a person's life, didn't he? Pharisees were all about pride. Man, they were proud. They were taught to be proud. And they showed it. Inside and out, they showed pride. Very important to them to show pride. The way they dressed, the way they walked, the place where they sat or ate or did business, everything was about pride. 
and what they, they were, had pride about what they had become and how they became who they were and who they were. It tells us what I like to call uh, in my special case syndrome. Uh, after all, the world is all about what I am doing and what I am feeling about myself, isn't it? Isn't that what your world is all about? What I'm doing, what I am feeling. For example, these are, wouldn't apply to anyone here or to myself, I can assure you. But in my special case, as an example, I can be the one all others have to look up to. I can handle that. I want them to look up to me in my special case because I know what I'm doing and I know who I am and I know what I did to get here and how good I am doing at it. And so in my case, I can handle it when all others will have to look up to me in my special case. Does that sound like pride talking? On the other end of the spectrum, in my special case, I can be the one all others will have to worry about and to care for. And I can accept all of that gladly. Take care of me this way, take care of me that way, because I'm a person who needs it and who wants it, and I can handle that, do for me. Does that sound like pride talking? Because in my special case. That's the syndrome. Another one, in my special case, I can make my own rules of behavior in this area or that area simply because it is me and I know what I'm doing. If other people did that, it would be wrong. But I can do that in my special case because I know how to handle it. I know what I'm doing in my special case. Pride, pride causes to go to ruin spiritually. It's easy, it happens. To the best of us, it happens. To the highest level, it happens. In today's world, as well as all those things that we read about in scripture, it happens today too, doesn't it? Sometimes God, Holy Spirit has to shake us out of our own private little world of in my case. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that he was pleased and he was somewhat relieved that they had heeded his admonitions to repent in his previous letter and had responded well to his advocacy to return to holy living. They had humbled themselves and they had repented of their, of their evil ways and he was greatly relieved, greatly proud of them in effect, very happy for them. 
Second Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. Now I rejoice that ye were made sorry, but that, excuse me, it's important to say all the words, isn't it? <laughs> Let's do that again. <laughs> now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. If you're sorry for a godly reason, that works life, that worketh life. If you're sorry for a worldly reason, that can work death. The people there needed to be reminded of their responsibility in Christ to live according to their new life of Christian standards. Paul compares the sorrow to conviction and repentance as opposed to a worldly sorrow that was only had sorrow because they were caught or that they would have to stop doing something that they wanted to continue doing. That's why they were sorry. They wanted to keep doing it and they had to stop. So that was a worldly sorrow. Ever see that worldly sorrow on your children's face when you catch them doing something they're not supposed to be doing? <laughs> Yeah. I, I suppose we don't realize it, but we have the same kind of look on our face, don't we, when we're caught that way. Here are seven benefits to uh, the godly sorrow that worketh repentance uh, in verse 10. They are simple truths and they enumerate the benefits for a renewed walk of obedience for us today as well. When you have a, guard, a godly sorrow that worketh repentance, number one, you have a renewed working of carefulness and obedience in your walk with God. It's new. It's more careful. You're more attuned to being obedient to God with a godly sorrow. Number two, clearing ourselves from guilt when you repent with a godly sorrow. It clears guilt away. Number three, an indignation of hatred of, and hatred of sin. We become more hateful of sin when we have godly sorrow we just do number four a healthy fear of God and the results of sin that fear means respect and there's some fear in there too respectful fear number five a desire to make things right 
Number six, we have a zeal to do the right thing. And we'll develop this a little further on number seven, but revenge in punishing the guilty. In this case, we are the guilty. Okay. Let's read the verse that talks about that. It's 2 Corinthians 7, 11. You'll see all seven of these in these in this verse. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement, uh, which means passionate, forceful, and intense, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. Their revenge is referring to retribution exacted. What retribution exacted? Or the desire to make things right. In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear. And that word is agnos, or pure, in this matter. So this revenge here is kind of a startling word to use. And what it means in this case is a a uh, determination to make things right uh, because of a wrong that has been done that we have done and now we have a, a revenge a, a determination to make it right and we know that because of the next sentence in all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear or to be pure and that's speaking spiritually to be pure spiritually by making those things right. 2 Corinthians 7.11 um, So there's a conclusion to all of this. and We have it here for the uh, 1 Peter 3.12-15 For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers but the face okay or the countenance of the lord is against them that do evil and who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good but if you suffer for righteousness sake happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror neither troubled but sanctify which is to consecrate hallow purify sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness which is mildness or humility and fear phobos which is fearfulness as in terror that's a hard combination speak mild and humility or with humility and scare them. <laughs> that's a hard combination, isn't it? In a, in, in a way, that's what he's saying. We, he didn't put it that way, but that's kind of what's happening. Peter was exhorting the, church, the early church to brotherly love. 
and he was admonishing us to treat each other gently and with meekness and respect. Speak kindly to those who, like us, at some point in our lives, those who do not know the hope that is in you with meekness. In other words, with humility. In verse 15. Yet at the same time, with a seriousness that highlights the terror to come for those who do not know, those who do not believe. So, we have to communicate the jeopardy that they are in in such a way that they know we love them. But this is a serious matter as we follow the leading of the Lord to bring them to salvation. I don't know about you, but I need the leading of the Holy Spirit to do that. How about you? We can speak harshly and do absolutely no good. We can speak meekly and humbly and do absolutely no good. Here he's calling for both so that the Holy Spirit may truly work in their lives. We can't save anybody. But we can present this the way the Holy Spirit wants it done, can't we? Um, from these moments of humility will come the moments of exaltation for us as Christians who walk in obedience to our God and also for those who hear the word of God from us and feel the leading of the Holy Spirit to accept their own salvation. And they will have the humility of godly sorrow, conversion to exaltation in the spirit and acceptance of Christ because of how we've allowed the Holy Spirit to lead us. Humility to exaltation. It works in so many ways. There's so many applications to that. Um, and I think that uh, we've seen a lot of it so far. And we need to continue and believe that, uh, that all of this that is accomplished is God's accomplishment, not ours. And I know you do. God bless you all. And... I appreciate you coming today. Are there any questions, comments? Yes, ma'am. I was late, but I'm grateful. I needed that grateful. Thank you. I liked your cartoon. It kind of boiled it all down for us. You know, it's like a summary with an exclamation point, you know, on the first page. So uh, I like the cartoon. Thank you very much. Father, we pray that you would just bless what's happened today and that your Holy Spirit will be ministering to us about it and that we would be able to walk in humbleness and in obedience 
according to the way that you would have us in your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.